Exodus 20, verse 17, and this is the Tenth Commandment. We've made it. All right. Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and for this culminating commandment of the Ten Commandments, a reflection of your moral law, your nature, your character, your standard. We pray, God, that you would use your word again, we ask, for grace, that your word would cut us to the quick, that you would use your word to lead us to Jesus, that you would use your word to help us to reflect Christ, that more and more people may see him in us. But help us as we walk through your word, as we contemplate this scripture, uh, would you be our guide and be our teacher? We are cast in reliance upon you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so remember uh, Ten Commandments. This is the, we're, we're taking it as a, a reflection of the moral law of God so that it is a binding on all people in all places and all times that this is a, a portion or a, an articulation of the law that is written on the heart of every man and woman made in the image of God. Uh, they might not be able to articulate it this way, but there is a sense in which we know these things to be true uh, because we are made by God, for God, as a reflection of God. And part of the image of God has a, has a moral character to it. Uh, and so the Ten Commandments stand apart or stand as a distillation of this moral law of God. Remember, there's the moral law, the ceremonial law, and the civil law or judicial law. Ceremonial law governs the worship of God's people. The civil law governs Israel as a geopolitical state, if you will, as a nation entering into Canaan. Uh, that, that those things were uh, fulfilled and abrogated in Jesus so that we look to the ceremonial law, but it helps us see Jesus better, not as a way of, well, now, hey, they did these things. The priest dressed up with, you know, the urim and thumim and the, the breastplate and the, the turban and all, he, like so that so our preachers need to dress like that now right well, that's not how this works definitely not how this works um, not gonna happen uh, but we look at those things and say well as as the the holiness of the lord is reflected in the garments of the priest it is displayed fully in the person of jesus and then it's displayed fully in how christ clothes us in his Righteousness, so that there's they're not they're not just pointless, right? As you're reading the Old Testament, it's not just pointless, but it helps us see Christ. But then, as we come to somewhere like the moral law, it should uh, the law here should teach us has three uses. One, uh, it reflects God; it shows us His standard. Two, it shows us that we don't meet His standard and that we need a Savior. Um, as we've seen along the way, I hope you've seen one of the things is that. You don't live up to this. You never have and you never completely will until glory. Uh, But we also uh, leads us to Christ. But having been redeemed in Jesus, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We now say we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us uh, and that we are we are given a a divine desire to obey Jesus. That a part of a reflection 
uh, a fruit of God's salvation working in our lives is that we, we grow, sin grows ever distasteful to us and holiness grows ever tasteful, more pleasurable, more joy, joy giving uh, so that we have a longing for obedience. But not just the longing, we have the spirit giving us the ability to obey, whereas we once were enslaved to sin. So that the, the third use of the law is that it guides us in a life of following Jesus. So if Jesus completely fulfilled the law of God, he says, and he says, come follow me, you know, the servant is not greater than the master, then we should look to the law of God and say, this is the way that Jesus lived. He didn't have any other gods, gods above his father. Uh, he didn't take the Lord's name in vain, obviously. Uh, he kept the Sabbath rightly. That's something that shows up a lot in the Gospels. Uh, that and he, you kind of walk through it, and he he kept both the first table perfectly, and he kept the second table perfectly. Love towards God and love towards neighbor. He did these things perfectly, and so that Jesus's holiness does not lip free us from any responsibility to holiness. Jesus's holiness frees us from sin and his sacrifice and his shed blood. His holiness and uh, both. His holiness and his righteousness given to us uh, makes us holy, but then sets us on a course for a new way of living so that the law has ever present. This moral law has ever present application. So all that to say, as a Christian, we don't get to look at the Ten Commandments and say, well, Jesus fulfilled these things. I don't have to worry about that anymore. No, um, <clears throat> we look at the Ten Commandments and say, I, I don't meet this. I need grace. I need what Jesus offers today. I need the good news of the gospel, that Christ is the friend of sinners, that Jesus' blood makes me clean, but I am forgiven and I am adopted into his family, and now I want to do this. I don't want to have any other gods above him. I don't want to have any images that are, uh, or worship in a way that doesn't bring him honor. I don't want to take the Lord's name. So there's new desires there. Uh, and that I want to love my neighbor by considering life sacred. I want to love my neighbor by rep- seeing that God has given us uh, property, right? Don't steal, all these sorts of things. I want to be faithful in the relationships that he places me in, beginning with my marriage, and then uh, sort of by order of importance down from there. I want to be faithful to the responsibilities of being a husband, of being a father, of being a pastor, of being a neighbor, of being a son and a brother, etc., uh, so that I want to I do these things, and this is how I follow Jesus. This is the way that we follow Jesus, um, that there, it's sort of plain instructions. Uh, it is, right, that we should have a, an inner relationship. We should have a, um, a, a spiritual communion with him. But if all we look for for our following of Jesus is a, an emotional feel to it, then we're going to kind of be led astray by our emotions, Right? Those things are there. They should glorify God. But God says, you, you follow me and you do what I tell you to do. So um, <clears throat> coming down to sort of this culminating, uh, the 10th commandment, this culminating commandment uh, against covetousness. And covetousness means that you have, what, you have that thing and I want that thing. Not just I want something like it, but I want that, Right? You have that car, I want that car. You have that house, I want that house. You have that four-wheeler, I want that four-wheeler. That you, you have that thing, and I want that thing. Um, one, right, the problem with covet- covetousness on the surface level uh, is that those things don't belong to you. So it becomes a very related to don't steal. 
But covetousness also reflects a heart of discontentment. Uh, it reflects a heart. Of, and this is, <clears throat> again, when you think about the Ten Commandments, there is the narrow application. Uh, you, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, servants, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, or anything else that is your neighbor's. Um, what's interesting here, compared to the, all the other ones, especially on the second table, all of the other ones that are vertically oriented about loving our neighbor, is that this is inherently an internal reality. Right. It is it is in the narrow application of it. We're not even talking about the broad principle behind it, but in the narrow application, the the narrow application of do not steal means I don't take that which belongs to you. It is it is outward. It's it's physical, if you will. It's visible. Uh, Same with adultery. Same with uh, murder. All of those things are exterior. And you could say honor your father and mother. That's sort of an internal thing. Uh, But very similar to that, the covetousness is an issue of the heart. Right, that you can covet, you can't physically steal, and I mean, I guess you can. People do it all the time, but 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 and it not be seen right? and not be a visible reality. But you could live your life coveting and still look like a fine person, and never be indicted for having stolen anything. Uh, so that this is a in narrow application, this is a heart issue. But it also shows us that in the broad principle of it, uh, not only is it a heart issue in the narrow. Application, but it's a hard issue in the broad principle of it that contentment is really, really important. The I, this is about contentment because if I want those things, it means I don't. I'm not content with what the Lord has given me. I'm not content with uh, the position in life in which I find myself. I'm not content maybe with uh, uh, with the husband or with the wife. I'm not content with the house. I'm not content with the car. I'm not content in this with the ox or the donkey. I'm not content. And when, we, when we're not content with what the Lord has given us, then we are actually embodying, in a, in a very real way, we're embodying the rebellion of the garden. I'm not content with what you've had, therefore I want to take this fruit. I'm going to believe the lie of Satan so that we can become God. I'm not content. Um, in contentment, we don't talk often about it because there's a... We get we get lost in the conversation between contentment and ambition and contentment and uh, righteous change and sort of all those sorts of things. But but at the at the bare basis of it, covetousness is rebellion against God because it is it is the exercise of a discontented heart. And when we are discontented, we don't believe that the Lord is our shepherd and I shall not want Right. If the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me by beside green pastures. You know, Psalm 23. That is that is a posture of contentment. The Lord's my shepherd. I'm going to trust where he's placed me. I'm going to trust that he's going to give me what I need. Jesus goes into contentment right in Matthew chapter six. Your father knows that you need all these things. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you. He knows your needs. He knows where you are. Uh, but he's telling us not to find our deepest contentment in stuff or not find our deepest contentment in other people. I try to do this a lot or remind people of this a lot in premarital counseling, saying if you're not enough be- with Jesus before you're married, you will not be enough when you become married because you're trying to make that person function in your life as a, as a functional messiah and it will crush them. 
When you put somebody in a relationship and you're asking them to do only that which only Christ can do, you're positioning that person with un, you, they, they can't because they're not Jesus. They can't bring you that contentment. They, sure, they, we should take delight in our spouses and delight in our homes and delight in these things. Um, but if I'm looking for ultimate contentment, ultimate satisfaction in this person, um, thinking that somehow I've, I've, I've never had it before, but now that I've had this person, now that I have, and that's kind of the part of my problem with the whole soulmate, right? I'm incomplete and now I'm complete, right? I, in one sense, I understand what's being said there, but there's also, there's a dangerous undercurrent of discontentment in this in, because singleness can be a, is a, is a position in which the Lord leads us into. Whether it's singleness that is enduring, right? You've never been married, or for you know, for widows and widowers, that there is a uh, that there's a position of singleness that the, the Lord brings us into, and so learning to find deepest contentment in Him. That's that's really the the encouragement there in Matthew chapter six is that seek first the kingdom, seek first God and His things, be about your Father's business first. It doesn't mean you have to become a a monk or a nun or please don't do that. But, um, but it means that, he, that we find deepest satisfaction in him, that he, he really is satisfying. He really, he really does supply contentment wherever we find ourselves, in whatever position of life. Um, and scripture is replete with either examples of this or, uh, or teachings of this. So let me, two places that are really close to each other in the book of Psalms, just two verses that kind of illustrate the satisfaction in God. Um, <clears throat> Psalm 1611, and then, so the last verse of Psalm 16, 1611, and the last verse of Psalm 17, 17, 15. Uh, so those, those two are the ones that are very close to each other. So Psalm 1611 says, You, God, make, me, make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 1611. That at, at your right hand, or well, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That this is a, this, the truth that's declared, the psalmist is declaring about the nature of God and his presence and our, our living in his presence is that we can find fullness of joy in him. Full, like fullness, right? A balloon that's at the, at the max. There's no more room for any more fullness. There's no more room for any more joy. So that the joy that we then experience, uh, the, the joy I, I take in my wife and the joy I take in my kids actually becomes a function of the joy that I have in the Lord because he's given me these things. And that, that goes from, from great big things like that to small things like the sunrise, that I enjoy them because of the fullness of the joy of the Lord. But then you flip that into where we, when we begin to suffer trials and afflictions, and then we have the promises of God that, that uh, the, the Lord is, he cares about, the, he's near to the brokenhearted. Uh, or when we're mourning, the, the death of his saints are precious in his sight, Psalm, Psalm 116. Or that he's working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that, you know, there, there's, promise and instance and instance, all of these things, that the fullness of joy, it doesn't go away in the midst of suffering. It looks differently. It does not mean you're going to be like bouncing around like Tigger in the hundred acre wood, but you might look like Eeyore, but, but you're going to have a fullness of joy. 
that there is something sustaining below all of that. Um, and then seventeen fifteen. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. So you see the language of satisfaction that I'm, I'm finding in God that which is most fulfilling to my soul. And this is a like I didn't I didn't grow up hearing this. Um, and I think it's really, really important that we couple our conversation about the law of God and the binding nature of the law, how it guides us even now in following Jesus. It shouldn't be that should not be crippling to us. It should not be bur- the, 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 the commandments of God are not burdensome. John tells us in first John, but that be, there should be a function of joy in the middle of saying, I'm going to I want to be I want to be obedient. You see what the psalmist says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. We're declared righteous in Jesus. We're growing up in this righteous positioning before God that as we obey in grace, we're going to understand more and more of, of who Christ is. We're gonna, it becomes a, a, almost like a spiritual discipline. When Jesus says, you do this, you do it, and you begin to know him more. Um, okay. So those are, those are two instances I mentioned. Um, Matthew chapter 6. So again, um, narrow is this heart condition of wanting something that doesn't belong to us. And really, it's, it's an expression of the broad principle that we need to be content with God, not our circumstances. Right? Our, our contentment is derived, maybe better said, it's derived from God and not our circumstances. So that we're able, like Paul and Silas singing in the, in the jail cell, cell are, they're content in God despite their, their circumstances, not because of their circumstances. Um, that's just one, one example. Um, <clears throat> yes, sir? Cup, do you say that again? Yeah, at the heart of it, right, at the heart of it, it's, it's saying, yeah, very much so. It's very, 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 it's very much related. Um, whereas, yeah, they, that's, how they, that's, how, that's how advertising is built. On teaching you, that's a great point. It's teaching you that you you are act, in fact not content right now. You're not content. I'm not content with my truck that has 190 thousand miles on it and the bumper's about to fall off. Like I'm not content. I need a new truck, right? That that's that's what our our society teaches us. You're not content with you know I you know I got a couple spare LBs and so I need to go buy this supplement or I need to buy this whatever and so that I drop some poundage and then I will be happy and content. You could feel I'm not you know from energy drink commercials to makeup commercials to all sorts of advertising. This is what they they bill you, they they're they're trying to sell you discontentment so that you believe that your life is not complete until you purchase what they have. Um, whether it be something big or whether it be something small, like, hey, I really need that. I really need some gum now, whatever. I'm not content with stinky breath, right? So I need fresh breath. Um, but yeah, that's a great point, and that's what they, that's what they sell you. Uh, <clears throat> I want to bring you to, to two places and then to one, uh, one, familiar, one familiar place. Um, Paul, it... Talking to Timothy, writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, um, he says, But godliness, there's a whole thing going on here, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 
godliness with contentment. So that coupling godliness, right? Godliness just means godlikeness with contentment. It does you no good if you feel like you're, you're obeying God and you're never happy. Uh, if, because one of the things, that, one of the commandments of God that he gives us in the Bible is rejoice. So that there should be a delighting in him and a contentment in him. Um, but it cannot be to the exclusion of godliness. That godliness and contentment together, they, that, that is the equation of great gain. Um, you can't have co- godliness with no contentment. That doesn't lead to great gain. Contentment with no godliness doesn't lead to great gain. It's godliness plus contentment leads to great gain. And it doesn't mean like financial gain, but it means to Christ-likeness and deeper joy in him. Uh, and really, um, it, it affects your experience of eternity too. <clears throat> Hebrews 13.5. Again, I'm really kind of pressing on um, contentment. And then I'm going to come back to the devastating effects of covetousness at the end okay so i'm going to give you hebrews 13 5 we're going to talk about philippians 4 quickly and then we're going to go to james 4 okay that's kind of our roadmap of scripture um hebrews 13 5 keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have okay be content with what the lord has you be content whether you're um you know, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, be content. But notice the second half of the verse. Why? This is really supplying the why. Why ought we to be content? Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be content with what you have because you ultimately have Christ. Be content with where you are and what you have and your abilities and how, you know, I, I always wanted to be taller. I, all, I always wanted to be taller. And be content with where the Lord has you because you have Jesus. And if Jesus is not enough, you literally, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? You could have it all. But if you don't have Jesus, you're not going to have contentment and joy that resides and that lasts. Be content with what you have because he's, he has promised, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. He's with us. Right now, we, if you are in Christ, you have the Spirit of God living in you. That you have a living and vital connection to the living God. That you are, in a mysterious way, participating in the very life of God. In the very joy of God. Because you've been brought into connection with Him by His grace. So we have Christ. And Jesus is the, what is that, those parables in Matthew chapter 13, the guy who sells every, he finds a treasure hidden in a field and he sells everything he has to gain, go buy the field so he can get the treasure or the, the pearl of great worth that Christ and his kingdom is the, the pearl of great value. Sell everything we have, everything else can fall away if I but have Christ. If Jesus needs to be that valuable, that viscerably contentment giving, that's a terrible sentence, but he gives us that much contentment, that much peace, that, that much fullness we find in Christ, in Christ alone. Philippians 4, famous passage, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we love to put that on, uh, you know, like Tim Tebow putting it on his eye black when he was in college, which, you know, whatever. I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying that's not what that verse is about necessarily. 
I don't know if he'll do that in the NFL if he makes it or not. But Philippians 4, um, that's not an, I really respect Tim Deep Tebow. I'm not knocking him. <laughs> just, it just, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a coffee cup that I, I see and I was like, I really want that. It says, um, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. And I was like, mm, that would be awesome in the morning. Okay. Uh, Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. It's a learned, right? Being content in highs and lows in loss and in gain, that's, a, that's part of a learning. That's part of our, what the big word is sanctification. It's part of our growing up in Jesus, that I'm learning to be content. Um, I'm learning to be content in the losses, and I'm learning to be content in the victories. I'm learning to be content when the sun rises, and I'm learning to be content when the sun sets. Uh, that in everything I've learned to be, in every situation I've, I am, I've learned to be content, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. You know, you see how over and over again, Paul doesn't leave anything out of bounds to contentment. And you consider the things, go read like 2 Corinthians 11 and consider the things that he suffered. He's beaten, he's stoned, he's shipwrecked, he's imprisoned, he's mocked, all these sorts of things over and over and over again. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And he says, I've learned every situation to be content in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What's the secret? Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That Christ comes with strength for contentment, for peace, for a resting in God's gracious presence and God's gracious providence. That he is, by his providence, he's brought me to where I am today. As I think, as I think about my life and I think about the, the plan I had charted out. I've told you guys this before. Where I've had this planned out after I graduated college. What my life was going to look like. And my life has not, I mean I'm still in the pastorate. But it, it was a different road. It's a different road bringing me there, but it was a providential grace, grace derived road that needed to happen. Part of it, that there were a lot of things that needed to be beaten out of me before I started having to, had to lead people, right? Um, that there was, I was not in the place that I thought I was and I, and I needed, I needed to be brought low a good bit before I, before I knew how to walk with people who were brought low. Um, and preach to people who were brought low. Um, <clears throat> and I st- I'm still learning that. I'm still learning what it is to be content. You know, um, even in ministry, it's, it's so, and I'm, I'm not going to get off on the soapbox, but it's so like sometimes you have no idea, right? Did, did, that, did that work or did that fail? Like, because so much of what you don't, you don't see, right? It's so much of an iceberg, people's hearts, and then you don't know what's going to happen Two years from now, three years from now, five years from now, I, there's a story, and I've, I know I've told it because it's a, it's a hang my hat story. Uh, but a guy, her, and I told it recently, but it, um, it helps me be patient and play the slow game. Uh, that Martin Lloyd Jones, who was one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, um, and he preached for a long time. He died in 81, 1981, I think. Um, Preached through World War II in London. 
But he preached to a young man who was probably 15 or he was a teenager. The young man didn't care, didn't, didn't pay any attention, didn't really, I mean, it was just nothing to him. And then he was, later on, I think it was maybe 70 years later, he was obviously old man. He was, a, he was in his mid-80s. I think this is right. Mid-70s or mid-80s. And he, by the grace of God, recalled that sermon, repented of his sins, and trusted in Jesus. Um, and long, you know, long after, I assume, that Lloyd-Jones was dead, you know. Um, and I just, the long game. So, so understanding that uh, we're, not, we're not sovereign, we're, not, we're, we're responsible for our faithfulness and following Jesus and finding contentment in him today. Um, and he, we can do all things. We can know how to, whatever tomorrow brings, there will be grace for tomorrow. He will strengthen you for what, if it's an up day, he will teach you to be content in Christ in the ups. If it's a low day, he's going to teach you how to be content in Christ in the low day. But he will give us what we need. And we don't have, we're not going to find it by looking to other people, right? I'm not going to find contentment in the pastor. I promise you, I'm not going to find it by comparing myself to other pastors. I'm not, I'm not going to find it by, uh, hey, look how, look at what their church is doing. Look how big their church is doing. Look at, look at, look at, look, 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 at. That is a, that is a joy killer and it's dishonoring to the Lord. And it's not just pastors that do that, but you do that too. Right? Look at their family or look at their job or look at their house. Look, look at, look at, look at, right? So it's just, and it sort of devolves into this co- comparison and competition that you never really enter into, but you, wanna, you want to in your mind. And so that when you act, actually one day you might, you might feel like you exceed people b- beside you and you begin to feel, well, I might have arrived. And the next day you realize you actually didn't. And then you, your contentment is, is ebbing and flowing. Your joy is, um, is like a vapor. When our, we're called to have a joy that is enduring, and that's only found in Jesus. So, last thing is in James four, and just to see, we've seen the broad principle of contentment, um, and I want to show you how covetousness will destroy, destroys fellowship, destroys relationship, and will really, really upend and, and harm a church. Um, so James, who is ever, uh, I don't always has that, he's always stabbing you or hitting you. Or he's always got something. Anyways, um, verse, James 4, just 4, verse 1. Uh, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Um, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And it goes on. Um, But you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Goodness, I could tell you the stories where that verse, that half a verse, quarter of a verse, proved true in the context of a church. We covet, we covet positions, we covet power, we covet uh, renown, we covet recognition, um, rather than working, working for what the what the Lord will, um, the the. the the gift of the reward of, of our Father in secret that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 6. Um, we, we covet what we 
and we fight and we quarrel. If you've been in enough business meetings at, at a church, you know what this looks like. Um, we, we fight and we quarrel. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, if we were to spend the time, right, if that person were open enough to spend a little bit of time in pastoral counseling, we could drill down and say, this is a contentment issue. This is a, it's a gospel issue in your heart. What you need, you don't need these things. You need to be reminded and be refreshed in the gospel that Jesus is enough. Whether you, whether you have your way uh, in the context of the church, whether, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to start telling the stories, but you wonder, if you've been in the church, you know what I'm talking about. Um, that contentment leads, it, there is a peace inwardly that flows out to a peaceful uh, congregation, a peaceful community. If there's discontentment uh, inwardly and breeding covetousness, it's going to breed covetousness in me and flowing out into the relationships in which I find myself. It's going to flow out into my small group and into my uh, Sunday school class and into our business meetings and into our worship. Um, and it's, it's going to corrupt everything um, because it's, a f- it's feeding passions rather than following the Spirit. So I don't want to get off on that. But um, Covetousness is an inward sin that brings devastation outwardly because it reveals that we actually, uh, we actually don't believe that Jesus is enough. Covetousness reveals to us that we don't believe that Jesus is enough. We haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good. If, you've ta- if you are tasting and seeing, Psalm 34, that the Lord is good. If you're delighting yourself in the Lord, He's giving you the desires of your heart, Psalm 37 then uh, contentment is a result of fellowship and communion with God. And if you're not fellowshipping and communing with God through the Holy Spirit, trusting in Christ, discontentment is going to breed. And discontentment is going to overflow into covetousness. uh, And it's going to rob your joy. And it's going to hurt your relationships. And it's going to hurt our mission. Uh, It's going to hurt a lot of things. So... In all of this, right, we need to be, we look at it, those three uses of the law. I don't, this is the standard of God. Here is my sin, right? Here's, here are the areas where I'm, I'm discon, I have a, at least a tendency, right? I've shared some with you. Like, there, that is a constant, there's a constant pressure to, of comparison. Uh, and I've shared this with you before, and I shared, like, it's just, it's, I'll share it freely, not as though, but as, you know, you go to a group of pastors, and there's, there's always this, because we all, a lot of us, we fight this one thing. This, hey, um, we feel like we're being held up in comparison to all these other people, all these other pastors. And so there's, there's this danger of, of feeling like I've got to outrun that guy. Rather than saying he's actually my, we're actually pulling in the same direction. We need to cooperate and not compete. Um, I don't, I, I'm not threatening to him. He's not threatening to me. But we ought to be threatening to the gates of hell together, right? There should be, we have, there, but that has to be stated and reminded because Jesus is enough. But if I'm trying to stand on my own ability and what I've already accomplished, then, um, then I'm not standing on, on the finished work of Jesus. And that's just me saying, here, here, this is how I wrestle with this. That's just one area. Um, and I'm, so recognizing that I, we continue to struggle with these things, this ought to be the, the truth for all of the Ten Commandments. We come to them, and, and it shouldn't be like, oh, I'm doing that, I know that, I know that. But allowing the Word of God to do the Spirit's work in our lives so that God is ever always making us more like Jesus. You could go one through ten, and, and, and there should be seasons where you do, and say, Lord, examine me. 
examine me on the narrow application, but examine me on the broad principle. You know, am I, am I finding contentment in Jesus? Am I being, am I uh, protecting and, and promoting the truth? The ninth commandment. Um, am I considering life sacred? Am I all going through it and, and saying, Lord, examine me and help me come back to my need for Jesus, repentance and faith in Christ and saying Christ is enough and I can follow him now. When, we're, when scripture faces, faces us with our failures and faces us with our sin, uh, it's not a time to be, oh, you know, I'm the worst person ever. Uh, it's a time to say, yeah, weep over your sin. But Jesus is a mighty savior. He is mighty to save and he has shed his blood so that we would be made clean. He's lived the perfect life so that we would be righteous in him. And from a new position and a new posture, we can live lives that bring honor to his name. Um, Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that your word would examine us, that you would... Reveal to us the areas where covetousness resides, where discontentment grows like, fest- like a festering wound. And would you come with the healing balm of the good news of Christ, that you forgive sins, that you are the friend of sinners, that we are righteous in you, accepted and approved sons and daughters, not because of what we have done or not done, but because of you. And now we have you. Would you give us deep joy that we would be satisfied in your likeness, that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We would taste that joy tonight. Lord, would you bless these who have heard in this place or who might hear online or later on? Would you draw them ever not just to their sin, but draw them to Jesus? Restore their souls and be their shepherds so that they shall not want, but find satisfaction and contentment at the green pastures, the flowing waters that Christ provides as our good shepherd. So, Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.